This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, January 25th, 2024 edition. And as investors, you probably realize that the investing environment has changed, it's shifted. And it's a, it's a challenging environment, as always, but even more so today. Uh, and we are here to guide you. I'm Justin Klein, and my goal each and every weekday is to shed some light in, on today's news events, give you some perspective on how they might impact your decision-making process when it comes to your finances, and hopefully give you some actionable material that can that, that you can take back and apply to your own personal situation. Everyone's different. Everyone starts at a different place and their goals are different as well. But the fundamentals of smart investing, smart money decisions, that's universal. And that's what we are here to instill. And it's something that doesn't happen in one day or one show. It takes consistent effort and focus. And that's why we do the show every weekday. Now we're going to talk about the market performance for today, as well as run down some show topics. But right after we answer our first caller question now. Hello, Invest Talks. Today I'm calling about American Financial Group, ticker symbol AFG. As always, I monitor for profitability, debt levels, and cash flow before I continue looking into these companies. And I really like this company's 11 straight quarters of 14% ROIC, growing earnings, and history of special dividends. I don't have any insurance companies and would like some exposure. What's your opinion of this business? Thank you, and I'll be listening on the podcast. All right. This is American Financial Group. Its main focus is on specialized commercial products for businesses. So it's a PNC insurance company focused on specialty commercial property lines. I, I like that. And they also have an annuity operation that sells fixed and fixed indexed annuities. So I think that's a good business. We've said it's usually good for the insurance company, not so much for the purchaser of those type of products, but uh, that tends to be a, a good business. And it operates under the Great American Insurance Group name. And it writes policies in all 50 states. So you know how we feel about insurance companies. We like them. They tend to they're operating in a fairly good environment right now. This company has very minimal debt. I like that. Free cash flow about $1.3 billion on a $10 billion market cap. I like that as well. Return on equity about 22%. Long-term average is right around 20%. So that's positive too. So I'm liking a lot here. A lot to like. Now, if I look at the chart, I would say it had a large pullback from late 2022 when it peaked out around $150 per share 
The recent low in the fall was about $105 per share. Now we're at 120 and it's consolidating now above the 200-day moving average. So the technicals are firming up. They're getting more attractive. I like that as well. Earnings, earnings expectations, they're not quite as, I don't say they're not quite as attractive because they're still expected to grow earnings by about 10% this year. Although those, although those ex expectations continue to be downgraded. So I don't like the trend in the earnings, but overall the business is growing high single digits in revenue over the past couple of years on average. And same with earnings. 2.4% dividend yield. Like I said, the technicals are firming up, trading at reasonable multiple, especially the cash flow, about a 10%, 12% free cash flow yield. I like that. So I'm going to give AFG, American Financial Group, a thumbs up. We have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes or so. Time permitting, we're going to touch on a new report about how a third of US financial advisors plan to retire within the next 10 years. And I think this is important because that is, the majority of you at some point are going to need a financial advisor. This show is a lot about being able to make good decisions on your own. And you certainly can do that. Problem is that the majority of people, they don't have the time, the discipline, the data to really do this effectively. And most of you will turn to a financial advisor at some point at some point. And so the transformation of that industry will be will impact most of you. Because you will intersect even if you don't already use a financial advisor. Now we have other topics on the docket as well. One is in regards to insurance companies, and why their business is booming. We just talked about one, but there are many others out there and they're doing very, very well right now. So we're going to talk about why. Also, we just got fourth quarter GDP numbers and US economy grew at 3.3%, the, the initial report. And as a whole, the US economy grew at about 3.1% for the entire year 2023. But we're going to dig into the numbers and help you understand what is happening more broadly. And then lastly, Chinese investors, they're not investing in their own country. They're trying to get money out. And the question is, where are they putting their money? Hence, they're in large developed countries. We also have some voice bank questions that we will hit on. One is where to invest, and the other is on IRBO, the iShares Robotic and Artificial Intelligence Multi-Sector ETF. Now, we're going to a quick break, but please remember, you can call anytime and leave your questions on the InvestDoc Voice Bank. And if you're listening via our live stream or an AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART. Hey. 
every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. You get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on J.P. Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. Even to growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. I'm 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck. Because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Now let's take a look at the market today. It was a strong day overall. Mid-caps at the best, up nearly 0.87%. It was the exact number there. The broad U.S. market was up about half a percent. And... As one little change today was that value certainly outperformed. So, you know, value closed the 2023 year uh, very strong. And so far, growth has outperformed um, in the first month, first, you know, two, three and a half weeks now. Uh, but today, <clears throat> that was not the case. And I think the main driver was Tesla. Tesla was down 12%, certainly had poor a poor outlook and missed estimates for Q4 earnings. So that was uh, really the main issue here. Uh, you had other companies doing well that are more on the value side. IBM, the main one, up 9.5%. You also had American Airlines up 10%, Xerox up 10%, Nokia up 11%, United Rentals up 13%. So some big gainers of and the, that traditional business uh, realm that tends to be more on the value side. Uh, so that was the the tenor of, of today's markets. Uh, we did hit a fresh new high, but once again, not driven by that growth side of the market. We'll see if we get some follow through um, both tomorrow and next week where we get a lot more announcements from the, the Mag7. I know Apple, I believe Meta's next week, Google. So those will be some interesting numbers to look at. And we also are less than a week away from the Fed meeting that's going to come up next Wednesday and how what they say about future rate policy will certainly have a large impact on markets. So we'll be on the lookout for that. But that was the market today. Positive, but a bit of a change from the trend we've seen so far this year. Now, let's take another caller question from 888 chart This one came in from Los Angeles. Hello. I have saved up around $80,000, and I'm 21 years old, and I was wondering what I should do to invest my money and what I should do to make it grow. 
I was considering buying or putting money down on a house or a townhouse or a condo in my area. But Los Angeles seems very expensive. I was wondering if maybe there's another state or another city where I could possibly invest in property or whether or not this is the right time to invest in property. Thank you. Hope to hear it on the next podcast. Thanks for the call and congratulations on saving up a nice little chunk of cash there. Now, the first thing you should make sure you're doing is maxing out retirement accounts, your 401k at your, at your work, your your IRA, maybe a Roth IRA if you're in a low tax bracket. I think that's uh, the first place you should put that, that, that money. Uh, second is when it comes to real estate investing, in today's market, it's not very – it's not that advantageous. Uh, the, the cap rates remain very low, especially here in Southern California. You talked about uh, Los Angeles. You know, I'm, I'm just south of you. Um, the cap rates still remain 4 or 5%, which is lower than the cost of, of borrowing, the cost of capital, the cost of the, the, the yield you can get on quality corporates, for example, uh, which doesn't, which, which uh, there's no, uh, there, there's no headache of being a landlord. Um, so if you are going to invest in real estate, you want to do that at a state, but you have to be very careful because the, still the cap rates are not that great in many parts of the country. It's not just here in California where uh, they're, they're some of the worst. Um, and then you have to be comfortable with being a landlord to a property that is out of state, out of your your region, that you have to pay another property manager most likely uh, to help with that, and that eats into your your ultimate yield. So, I wouldn't say property investment is the best place for you right now. We're still going through what I think is a multi year correction in in housing prices, and frankly, that's probably going to be more of a correction in real terms. Meaning, you can a lot of people think of a correction to prices that happen in in nominal terms, meaning 08 was a correction in nominal terms. Prices of real estate fell 50%. But you can also have a correction in time where prices go nowhere. And the real return, the real growth in prices is, is negative over a number of years. And over, you know, five, seven, 10 year time period, prices stay flat, inflation remains going, uh, remains consistent. And Price correct, price prices correct in time as opposed to uh, nominally, and I think that's probably what you're going to see more broadly with real estate uh, for the foreseeable future due to the lack of affordability in most regions. Now, we always say real estate is local, so it's not like there aren't opportunities out there. They're just very hard to find. You have to do a lot of work, and once again, be comfortable with being a landlord out of state. Um, mainly, what I would focus on is. Continue to get money into those tax-deferred investment vehicles. Learn more about uh, the investment world, you know, stocks and bonds. And if you don't feel you have the expertise, it's okay with a small dollar amount to uh, just simply index if you don't want to go through the process of uh, becoming a better investor. You just want to kind of set it and forget it. And there are worse ways to go. Say that. Now, as we go to a break, let me remind you to check out our new Invest.Classroom series. It's streaming now for free on our YouTube channels titled The Residential Housing Market in 2024. Very apropos here. And we discuss, Luke and I discuss the current market dynamics in the housing market. 
and I offer my perspective on lifestyle goals when selecting a home as well. So just head over to YouTube and search Invest Thought Classroom. And now the phone lines are open waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Now, our main focus point concerns this topic. According to a new report, over one-third of U.S. financial advisors plan to retire within the next 10 years. And like I said at the top of the show, most of you at some point in your life will turn to a financial advisor to get your financial life in order, uh, to get your investment strategy more aligned with your particular goals. And the fact that a lot of baby boomers are retiring. This is part of the reason why there's this huge shift. And it's not just a demographic thing, but it's also trends within the industry. So a lot a lot of the advisors at the big wirehouses think the Merrill Lynch's, Morgan Stanley's, Wells Fargo advisors, the UBS's of the world. They are gradually moving over to RAs, registered investment advisors. That's what we are at KP Financial. We're not brokers. That that. A lot of the stuff that happens at Merrill Morgan, et cetera, uh, include commissions, and there are conflicts of interest there. And so a lot of those advisors are moving over to the RIA channel, which I think in general is a good thing because RIAs, we are under what is called the fiduciary standard, which means we have to act in the best interest of our clients. And so hopefully most of these are pure fiduciaries, pure IRAs, meaning they don't kind of wear both hats. They don't have multiple licenses. They have one single license for us as the Series 65. And that means all of our actions are in the best interest of our clients. So if you're ever going to go that route with a financial advisor, make sure they are a, a pure IRA, not wearing different hats at different times. Now, one of the other reasons why the headcount is falling so dramatically is the rookie failure rate. So just a little insight here. A lot of those big wirehouses, they hire a lot of rookies and they, they might hire each team and every, uh, these all have teams. So, you know, there's a team in here in orange County, California, there's a, there, there, there might be one or two or three teams, uh, underneath one of those major brands. We'll just say Merrill Lynch, for, for example. Um, and then each of those teams will bring on 15, 20 new rookie advisors. Uh, and it, they will have to bring in a certain number of assets over the first two or three years. And if they don't do that, typically it's $20, 25000000 million. And if they don't do that, they basically are fired. And that, that money goes to the team in general, right? Spread among the, amongst the team. Some of those, they, those assets they hold on to, some of, they, them, some of them they don't. So what happens is there's a lot of, there's, there's a very high rookie failure rate. It's 72%. 72 percent. 72 percent of those rookies fail out of the program in the first two or three years. Um, and so what that means is only a small percentage of them stick on 
and not enough to replace those boomers that are retiring. Across all channels, advisors 55 and older manage 56.7% of all assets, representing only 42% of advisors. Not only are a lot of those uh, advisors older, but they hold on, they have most of the assets because they've been doing it for a long period of time. And so uh, as, as, as this industry evolves, you have to, you're going to have less choice because there's less advisors out there. Um, now, once again, that's the negative. The positive is that more and more of them are becoming RAs. It's uh, easier with technology. You know, we have access to so many great SaaS software. I can't even count. We probably subscribe to at least a couple dozen pieces of SaaS software. I mean, we're talking about from Microsoft 365 to client reporting software to uh, research software. All of that makes it a lot easier to do many of the things that those big wirehouses uh, used to do. You know, most of those 30 years ago, the average RAA, average independent advisor wasn't able to access the type of technology that the Morgans and the Merrills of the world had. Now in today's world, Software is eating everything, and it's easy to gain access to uh, pretty much the same thing, sometimes even better. Okay, and a lot of those firms are using you know old, outdated software because it's hard to move them to the newest and greatest. So that's happening as well. Also, private equity is a big factor. Private equity was buying up a lot of these small shops and aggregating them together. Last year, there were 321 deals for registered investment advisors from the private equity or private equity deals that was down 6%, but from a record 340 deals in 2022. So back to back record yield years in that sense. So, uh, it's pretty interesting to see our industry evolve. And I wanted to talk about it because you kind of get a peek behind the curtains, the trends. Uh, and like I said, some are positive for you who will probably use a financial advisor at some point in your life. Um, and some aren't and, um, I wanted to keep you abreast of those particular trends. Now, Matt from Los Cabos, hang on, you'll be next. But on the next Invest Talk, I'll look into this story, how investors are playing emerging market opportunities in India and Japan. Investors are increasingly looking to emerging market exchange-traded funds for growth at a reasonable price. That story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein, ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, 
security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready with their unbiased answers. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Matt in Los Cabos looking at BTI, British American Tobacco. Do you own it or looking to buy it? I own it. I bought it, uh, I think, a couple years ago. Uh, I like the dividend, and then when it dropped in price, I had a good gain, and then it dropped in price, and I bought more of it. And uh, then it, I think I was down 30%, and now it's popped up. Uh, I was wondering if I should just keep holding it for the dividend or get rid of it. Well, as you, if you've been listening for any length of time, you know we always say don't chase the yield, and it sounds like this is what you did here. you gotta, you got to chase the best in the business and BTI just simply is not that. They have a lot of debt. They 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 their their cash flow they're using to pay down the debt as opposed to send money to shareholders either through dividends or buybacks. And uh, they have a long way to go. They still have about 53 billion dollars in long-term debt and they just simply are, it's going to be a long time before they, they pay that down to a reasonable amount. Uh, you also have headwinds with uh, the UK government potentially banning cigarette purchases for anybody uh, under a certain age. And then that age would just basically they, those people would never be allowed to, own, to buy cigarettes because that uh, the age to buy cigarettes will just simply go up along with them. Uh, throughout the, the their lifespan, um, so that's something that uh, is threatening, and, and and also their smokeless tobacco unit is just lagging behind. So, uh, you know, when you see a nine point four percent dividend yield like you do now, there are there's a lot of risk to that, and that's why we say when you chase the yield, you usually get burned, and whether that's buy the stock or buy a cigarette in this case, um, you know you you know you want to be focusing on companies that have good balance sheets, good businesses. And while I don't hate the business, I do hate the balance sheet. So um, I would move on and find something that's more reasonably priced. Or sorry, sorry, I would say reasonably priced. That has a more reasonable yield and a better balance sheet. Thanks for the call. Thanks a lot for your... No problem, Matt. Enjoy Los Cabos. Now let's talk a little about insurance companies and... We, we've said this over the past, I don't know, 18 months or so about how insurance companies are entering a better environment. One big tailwind is the fact that interest rates are rising. They're able to invest their premiums that they get from their customers to into higher yielding investments like treasuries, for example. And that's certainly helping. But there are other factors that are at their back as well. That's propelling a lot of these insurance companies to record profits. And they were suffering some, uh, the, the first couple of years of the pandemic, 
they suffered. Now, 2020, they were fine. Most of this, most of them because they had, uh, especially the auto insurers, because people weren't driving, so there were a lot less payouts. But then once 2021 hits and parts of 2022, when in inflation surged, their cost to repair cars and homes, et cetera, were just pushed ever higher. And so their margins were shrinking. But now they're getting the best of both worlds. Our, not only is our interest rates going higher, but inflation is easing as well. And they're able to, they, they've been able to, in those bad years, push premiums up. And in many instances, it's, it was justifiable and they were justifying it to state insurance regulators. And a lot of those regulators are not pushing back as hard on these price increases. For example, for example, home insurers in North Carolina this month asked regulators to greenlight a 42% increase in premiums. And nationally, rates continue to go up. Travelers this week said that insurance premiums are likely to increase in the low double digits for home insurance renewals this year and mid-teens for driving renewals. And there's usually a lag here because the they have to apply for these increases within the state. And so a lot of them were doing it when those when the cost was going up and they were justifying the increase in rates and now they're finally getting approved. Now, 10 companies, Allstate, American Family Insurance, Farmers, Geico, Liberty Mutual, Na Nationwide Progressive, State Farm Travelers, and USAA have all won regulatory approval to boost auto insurance rates by more than 20%. And in, in, in 16 states, it's up 30%. And in Texas and Ohio, Texas was up 45%, Ohio 39%. And so there's a lot of willingness for these regulators to approve rate increases when historically they pushed back pretty hard. They're not pushing back as hard. Allstate won approval for auto insurance rate increases of 30% here in California, 70%, 17% New Jersey, and 15% in New York. So when you see these insurance companies doing well, this is why. Now, does that mean that's going to last? Not necessarily, but at least in the short term, Short to medium term, I think there's a lot lining up that says this is a good time to be an insurer. So interesting uh, little insight there and what's changing. Let me cover the economic news that came out today. And that was in regards to the GDP for the fourth quarter. And for the fourth quarter, the initial estimate is a 3.3% growth rate, which puts the U.S. growth for the full year at 30 sorry, not 31%, 3.1%. And guess what? The world's fastest growing advanced economy in 2023. You know, going into 2023, everyone was expecting a recession. Clearly that, that, that did not happen. Okay. And so, uh, you know, you're also seeing what is really a soft landing. It's consumer prices are coming down as well. So you're having this growth in the economy and, Inflation is is ebbing. 
And the Pew Research recent report showed that 28% of respondents described the economy performance, economic performance as excellent or good. That's up from 19% in April. So that is a big shift here that is important to, uh, to take into account when it comes to the, the markets. Because if consumers are feeling more confident about the broader economy, that is in many ways a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, you are still seeing a, an economy that is slowing to a degree, but not in any dramatic way. Yes, the third quarter, you had growth of 4.9%, but 3.1% is still very solid. And compared to the rest of the world, the outlook is much better here in the United States. And the big question is, why is that? Put simply, the deficit. That is what is happening here. We are in a world of fiscal dominance. And so it should not surprise you that it is hard to go into recession. When you have fiscal deficit of nearly 6% of GDP, it's very difficult with that tailwind to get near-term major weakness in the economy. And that's why it counterbalanced the constraints that higher interests had on parts of the economy. And I say that because those higher interest rates only have impacts on the interest rate sensitive areas of the economy. And it just shows you how many moving parts there are to economic growth. It's never just one factor. And so many people want to distill it down into one thing. There are some that are more impactful than others. Number one is always going to be the consumer. How healthy is the consumer? And higher interest rates do have a little impact on that, but most of it's jobs. Are jobs, are, do people have jobs? That's the main driver of consumer spending. And then the next would be the government and government spending. And so you have to weigh these different factors when you start to Try to understand the trajectory of the overall economy. But so far, as we head into this year, economic growth, it's pretty fine. All right, now let's see if we can fix those technical issues. So let's play another caller question from 88899 chart. Hi, Steve, Justin. I'm calling from San Francisco, KDOW, and I'm thinking of adding this iShare robotic artificial intelligence to my portfolio to diversify. But before I do that, I would like your opinion. Uh, so can you tell me what information you have regarding this iShare robotic artificial intelligence? Okay, thank you, and I'll be listening. Goodbye now. All right, looking at IRBO, the iShares Robotics and Artificial Intelligence Multi-Sector ETF has a 0.47% expense ratio, which actually I wouldn't say is particularly high for what this is. You know, it is a, a thematic ETF. And I will say I don't love most thematic ETFs. They tend to be launched at the wrong time. And 
when that sector's hot, usually those companies are overvalued. Now, the good thing I would say here is there's a, it's well diversified, 111 different equity holdings. So you're not too exposed to one particular name. So that's one thing I would say I like about it, but it is very tech heavy, 63%, two thirds of this is simply in technology sector. 13% industrials, 18% communication services, 1% healthcare, 4% consumer cyclical. So I don't love that. The technicals are not that great either. It's roughly flat since the summer and the market's at new highs. So what does that tell you? It's been underperforming as of late. So I don't see any reason to, to get into this. It's had a big down move to start the year and it hasn't really recovered it. And so I would certainly pass on IRBO. I think you have much better opportunities elsewhere in the markets. Now this is Invest Talk. Now with close to 58 million downloads, thanks to you. Let's play another question now. Hi, this is Roy and I'm calling from the Central Valley in California. And I'd like to find out about Verizon Communications. The symbol is VZ. I would like to know if this would be a buy, hold, or sell for you at current prices. Thank you. And I'll listen for your answer. All right. Looking at Verizon, I don't think I need to tell you all what they do. It's part of the, uh, what do you call it? Not a duopoly, a triopoly between Verizon, T-Mobile, and AT&T. And the issue with Verizon as of the last couple of years is that they've been the high cost service provider within the wireless space. And T-Mobile has been kind of undercutting them in price. And after their merger with Sprint, T-Mobile's merger with Sprint, they were able to create a network that in many ways is on par with the AT&Ts and Verizon's of the world. And that means Verizon's revenue growth has been flat to slightly negative for a couple of years now. Peak earnings were in 2021 at $5.50. This year only supposed to make $4.59. And another headwind here is that you have 5G and the cost to deploy 5G is pretty expensive. And so it's a high capital cost business. And they have a lot of debt on their balance sheet. So, you know, their business is, is steady, but it's not growing. Their cash flow at about 13 billion is good, but it's down from all time high about 21 billion back in mid 2020. So that's the issue here is that you've had a, you've had a stair step down in free cash flow and operating cash flow, increasing CapEx costs and a lot of debt. So, and it's ran uh, from a low of around 31 all the way to 42. And I would say it's fairly valued at this point. So near term, I, I think it's fine. Um, but I think you just have better opportunities elsewhere uh, to find a name that has a, uh, a balance sheet that's stronger, as well as an industry that maybe is less competitive, and a business that has better growth. And that's the, the problem here is the lack of growth. 
This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart The market is constantly changing, and you've got to be ready to react. You'll have questions. Steve and Justin have answers. So listen live or download the free InvestTalk podcasts. The InvestTalk Anytime listener line never closes. 888-99-CHART. Good afternoon, gentlemen, and thank you for your service. My question is, do you use stock screeners? And if so, how would you set up a stock screener? I currently use E-Trade and I'm able to screen stocks based on everything from the basic industry to detailed financial information. But I just wanted your opinion on how to most effectively utilize a stock screener and possibly shed some light on your favorite industry, please. Thanks a bunch. Bye-bye. Well, yeah, you, you definitely should use a stock screener. Everybody should use one. It's the first line that will whittle down the number of equities that you can physically manually filter through because there's always going to be some level of filter that can't be whittled down to one number. You know, there are nearly 29,000 different equities that you could buy listed on some type of exchange. And let me just load one of ours. Yeah, uh, l let's say, yeah, there are 29,000. Most of those are OTC. But the ones that are listed on all major exchanges, 9,644. That's how many there are. So that's a lot. And so you need some sort of screener that will whittle those down to more results that uh, you can go through one by one, sector by sector, and find the best within each sector. That's what you need to do. Um, now, which one you use, it's up to you. The, everyone has their preferences. Some are free, some cost money, some just come with your broker. You talked about E-Trade. And they all work pretty similarly. But it's really about having a a wide enough net to where you're not excluding too many names. You know, if you're if you're doing a screener and it's coming up with eight names, you're probably too tight, right? You need to widen that out. Um, and I'll I'll just give you an example here. Uh, one of our screeners that screens for for names within. For, for one of our strategies that we deploy for clients currently is 137 different names that will that that come up. And that is a universe that we will go through. And we won't buy all of them. We know we're only gonna buy a few dozen of those. Um, so yeah, you should use a stock screen. Now, what are the metrics that you use? That's that's up to you. You know, we look at things like return on invested capital. We look at earnings growth. We look at payout ratio, market cap, relative strength, the 
number of shares outstanding, whether rising or falling. Um, those are just a handful. And then from there, we can say, okay, these are the better. And then we have rankings as well. We have a proprietary uh, scoring model that includes things like enterprise value to ca free cash flow, shareholder yield, return on assets, insider ownership, institutional investor ownership, standard deviation of returns, return on invested capital relative to the industry. Those are just a handful. We rank those. I won't tell you how we rank them, but we rank them. <laughs> so yeah, that those are definitely uh, tools that everybody needs. And it's your first step, not your last. And I think that's important to understand as well. Well, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.